just as we sang that song earlier, and Adrian kind of pointed us to the hope that we have in Jesus, uh, I was reminded what it says in the book of Hebrews, where it talks about our hope is a short and steadfast anchor. And it talks about how Jesus Christ is our forerunner, that he went before. And, and that the sim- symbolism in that passage there is incredible, because in those days at that time, a forerunner was someone who took the anchor from a big vessel, and the, st- the strongest man on that vessel would take the anchor and swim through the rocks and swim to the shore and he would bed that anchor into the rocks to, so that that ship could be secure in the storm. That man would risk his life as a forerunner to create security for the rest of that ship. And it's an incredible picture because uh, as their forerunner would do that, they often were battered by the waves and blooded by the rocks, but they would press through for the security of those on the ship. An incredible picture of what Jesus Christ has done for, for us in going before us and preparing the way and his battered, blooded uh, body on the cross to secure our, our uh, eternity in him. Incredible that our Jesus would do this for us to secure our eternity. That he went through the waves of the storm to secure, uh, uh, so that we've got security for heaven. And this is the Jesus that we talk about this morning. This is the Jesus that we get excited about this morning. If you're new to our church, the reason we get excited about Jesus is that the fact that he has gone before us, he has planted us, he's secured us, he's given us a hope and a future. And we believe that in his plans and his purposes and his promises, and as we build our lives on those things, that it will bring fruitfulness and effectivity and productivity to our church and to our community. This is our Jesus, church. This is our Jesus. This is our Jesus. Our hope. And I'm going to get really real with you now. This past month or two, I have cried more tears than I ever have for the rest of my life put together. But you know what? There's something significant that in life's most crushing circumstances, at sometimes at points where hope rises the most. Hope rises. And in that, what seemed to be a crushing defeat of Jesus Christ on the cross, well, actually a moment in history where hope rose for that generation, for future generations. This morning, hope rises. In our circumstances, in those failings of life, in those difficult times, this morning I speak over us as a church that hope rises. And you know what? They might be selling chocolate eggs off cheap in the shops, but for us, Easter is more than an occasion. It's a game changer. Because it's not just a historical event or a point in history. It's an ongoing experience in our lives of the love and the forgiveness of sins that we find in the cross of Christ. The healing that we discover in the stripes of Christ. And the fullness of life we discover in the empty tomb of Christ. Jesus rose and is risen and he reigns. Church, we should be excited about that because it's a game changer. It's a game changer. And this morning, if you haven't accepted Jesus Christ into your life, the reason that we get excited, the reason we find hope in crushing circumstances is because Jesus came along in our lives and he changed everything. He changed everything. I'm worn out. I'm not even preached yet. Can we just lift our hands towards heaven? Because there's there's a real word that I want to speak over your lives, over my life this morning that our hope is in Christ. Lord Jesus, 
This morning we say thank you. Thank you, Jesus, that you rose, you've risen, you reign. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are our hope in the most crushing of life circumstances. That you hold us up, you hold us together, you draw us in. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you were the forerunner that went ahead. You went through the battering of the storm and the rocks. You planted yourself in the ground on the cross so that we might be bedded into a security in eternity with you. So Lord, I pray this morning for this house, for our church family, for this community, that hope would rise in our hearts. We just say, come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Would you lead us, guide us, instruct us, empower us, embolden us. Oh, in Jesus' mighty name. Come on, I just want to encourage you in this moment. Just begin to lift up your voice. And I've used my voice a lot already this morning. Just in your own words, in your own way, just begin to express your thanks to Jesus for everything that he's done. Everything that he's done. Oh, sovereign Lord. Jesus. Jesus. Yeah. Amen. And all God's people said, Amen. Oh, that was good, wasn't it? Come on, let's give Jesus a big shout of praise. Ah. Uh, Adrian shared something a moment ago as we shared church news and, and, and prayed uh, that uh, about a new era. And uh, it, it does feel like that for us as a church. I know it for, for individuals it is, but I feel for us as a church, we're stepping into an, a new era. And uh, I, I've got to hold on to God that he's going to do something significant in that. He's many, many promises to us over the years as a, as a church family. And I believe it's time to take hold of some of those promises that we discover in Jesus. Wow. So here we go. Oh, I feel like I need to sit down now. Bit of a soaking session, Louise. Yeah. Great. Well, my name's Andrew, if you don't know. If you're a visitor this morning, it's great to see you. And uh, we welcome you. And we hope that you feel welcomed and part of the family. Uh, over the last uh, few weeks, we've had a number of visitors in and um, even some family that came along to my dad's celebration of life. And I was so encouraged by what people have said that someone said that, you know what, this is someone from outside of church, not a Christian, not following Jesus, said, this, this place feels like a real family. And I really feel welcomed and loved. And I think that's so encouraging for us as a, as a church that people are coming in and feeling that. 
Well, this morning, if I was at the ready, uh, I'm going to share something uh, that uh, I can honestly say, in all the years I've been a Christian, I've probably only heard a, a message on this a handful of times, perhaps can count on one hand, uh, but at the same time, it's, it's so important that we do teach on this. And I'm going to be reading soon from the book of Acts, uh, chapter 1. And if you've been coming the last few weeks, you'll know that we've been uh, doing a series uh, just Jesus series. Uh, last week, Adrian focused on that we are sent like Jesus. Great word. Can I encourage you to get online and have listened to that? If you missed it, if you're on your Easter jollies or at home eating chocolate eggs, you need to have a listen to that. Get on our podcast and, and listen to that uh, encouraging word, challenging word about being sent out. And I want to share something to follow on from from what Adrian shared, and uh, we're going to be moving into a new series uh, very soon. Uh, next week, we've got our baptisms, as Adrian shared. Very excited about that. Week after, we've got um, Gordon Neal with us. Uh, so that's going to be a great time as well. So this morning, I want to focus on Jesus' ascension. Jesus' ascension. And um, I know that Ascension Day isn't actually for another couple of weeks or so. I think it's the 4th of May. Today we've got an opportunity to to look at the Ascension of Jesus Christ, what that means for us. Uh, And uh, I think this is a great painting you can see up there. doesn't do it justice on the screen, but it's a painting uh, by Dan Sproul that's called Jesus Ascension. And uh, I love it, I love it. So we're going to be thinking about that. It's actually quite easy for churches and for Christians to overlook the ascension because we have all the enthusiasm and excitement and euphoria that, of, of the resurrection and Resurrection Sunday. And, uh, and then uh, churches, particularly Pentecostal churches, we look forward to the day of Pentecost and, and celebrating Pentecost. But somewhere sandwiched between those, 40 days after Jesus rose from the dead, we have the ascension of Christ. And it is easy to overlook, but I think it's important that we draw attention to. Uh, W.H. Griffith Thomas, uh, that's a long name, writes in an equally long name of a book called the International Standard Bible Encyclopedia. It's a long one. Glenn, have you got that one? No, it's a, it's a, it's a book anyway. Um, but the, uh, it's, he says this, he wrote this in the book. The ascension is not only a great fact of the New Testament, but a great factor in the life of Christ and Christians. And no complete view of Jesus Christ is possible unless the ascension and its consequences are included. This morning, in the uh, two hours that I've got remaining to share this, we're going to look at we're going to look at the consequences of the ascension. And listen, I haven't really got that long. If you're visiting, listen, don't panic. You'll get home for your roast. Um, but but I do need to say this. I am simply giving you some key pointers this morning. You can do a whole sermon and a Bible study on, on this, each of these points individually. So I'm taking aspects this morning uh, to consider for, for us as a church, but also individuals, the consequences of the ascension. And uh, Luke, Luke briefly wrote about how Jesus moved up. Ascension, ascension basically means move up. Jesus moved up. Uh, and it says in, it talks about it in Luke 24, but in Acts chapter 1, he describes what took place more fully, and that's where we're going to read from this morning. So, Bible's at the open, Acts chapter 1, 12 verses, the first 12 verses. Why you're finding that, and I'm hearing a clicking of buttons if you're going digital, or rustling of pages if you're traditional like me. Uh, I'm going to have a sip of water, so rustle away. 
the promise of the Holy Spirit. In my first book, this is Luke, I told you Theophilus. It's a great name, isn't it? Theophilus. I don't hear many babies called that these days, but you can have that one if, for free. Theophilus. Uh, I told you about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven and given his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. Whoa. During the 40 days after his crucifixion, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. He talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once when he was eating with them, he commanded them, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised. As I told you before, John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witnesses telling uh, people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. After saying this, he was taken up. He moved up. He ascended into a cloud while they were watching, and they could no longer see him. As they strained to see him rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. And it goes on to say in verse 12, then the apostles returned to, to Jerusalem. They moved out from that place to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, a distance of half a mile. For me, that's a long run. Um, so this was an amazing 40 days up to this point uh, where Jesus, risen from the dead, um, broke out of the tomb. And he spent those 40 days uh, uh, and he was uh, appearing to many people. He spoke about the kingdom of God. He did miracles. He ate. He drank. He even cooked breakfast for the disciples on the beach. He gave many convincing proofs. We read there, he gave many convincing proofs that he is alive. And thank God he is still giving convincing proofs that he is alive. I was so encouraged a a couple of weeks ago where uh, Chris and Jonathan and Daniel shared the testimony how Jesus had come alive in their lives and given them a, a fresh life, a new life to begin with. He is still giving convincing proofs to the world that he is alive. Oh, are we at cricket match? I'd listen, if you want to clap and shout hallelujah, go for it, because I might get done quicker, okay? Whoa! So just to conclude with... <laughs> just, no. Uh, I, was, uh, I was at uh, Chilwell Retail Park the other month, and uh, there was a little girl, probably the same age as my uh, little girl, and she'd uh, obviously been to Mackey D's or something like that, got a helium balloon, a uh, little red balloon, and it was uh, jo- the joy on her face about as she walked through the retail park holding onto this balloon. Then something happened, not quite sure, but she must have let go because the balloon then suddenly started to uh, ascend and go up and up. And so I stopped to watch. This balloon go up. Have you ever done that? Seen a balloon? And you just watch it. Hot air balloon or something like that. You just watch it go up and uh, ascend into the clouds. And, and this little girl, as I did, watched a little red balloon ascend up into the clouds until the point it disappeared. And at the point where it disappeared, something changed in the atmosphere. Ah, 
daddy. And uh, the tears came streaming down the face. The loud shouts of distress. And the, the only way I guess the dad could calm her down was by saying, I'll get you another one. I'll get, I'll get you something new. I'll get you something new. I don't worry about that. And uh, you know what? The, the fact that Jesus ascended into the heaven disappeared beyond the clouds. What, what the disciples must have felt at that point and the, the uh, journey that they'd been on with Jesus. But I also believe that Jesus ascending was a promise of something new. I'm sure that little girl got something new and great and fab and shiny. Uh, but nothing compares to the the new promise that Jesus released on that day. And we looked that it happened on the Mount of Olives. And the Mount of Olives is a very significant place uh, for the Jews. Um, and before, for centuries, in fact, before Jesus ascended from the Mount of Olives, um, the Jews would mark, mark the start of a new month by lighting a fire on top of Mount Olives that then became a beacon for other fires to be lit. It would be the starting point of a a message that signaled uh, lit fires around Jerusalem. Uh, And it was a a message that there was a new era, that there was a new moon, that there was something new going to take place. And so it's incredible to think that actually on that day when Jesus ascended, where they had been lighting fires for centuries before as a beacon of a message, that Jesus was ascending to bring us a message and the disciples a message that day. And it was a message that he, uh, of a new era, that he was promising something new, that he was going to go into heaven and he was releasing us to do his earthly work. And I love how Mark 16 puts this, that, that for us to go from the east to the west with a sacred and unfailing message of uh, salvation that gives eternal life. That was the message that shone from that, uh, as a beacon to the world that day, that Jesus moved up. But also in the Mount of Olives in the previous week, we also read uh, that uh, before the crucifixion, that Jesus was there at some point on the Mount of Olives, speaking of the second coming and the signs of the end age. We read that, that Jesus came from the Mount of Olives area as he made the triumphant entry into Jerusalem. We read that it was on the Mount of Olives that Jesus wept. He wept over Jerusalem. We also read that it was at the point on the Mount of Olives, it was at the foot of the Mount of Olives, that Jesus uh, prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane. But it was also at this point, Jesus' ascension, that he physically, visually, gloriously, miraculously moved up. He moved up. And listen, I'm not going to even pretend to know that I understand this. There's plenty of things in life I don't understand. I don't understand why five minutes after Hoover in my house, the kids can drop biscuits and crumbs all over the place. There's things in life that we don't understand. And because this is so miraculous and outside of our way of thinking as people, we kind of sometimes can dismiss it. But thank God that he works outside of our understanding and brings a heavenly aspect to our lives. So we're going to look at this and I've got five points and uh, hopefully they won't be long. Okay, will this work now? There we go, there we go. Um, So why did Jesus have to ascend? Why did Jesus have to move up? Why was it important for us? What are those consequences I talked about for us? Eyes on the screen, here we go. See that? I have discovered the animation button in PowerPoint. How incredible is that? Okay. (laughs) Sorry. You want to do it again? 
All right, okay. Second come in, not second going. Okay. First, first thing I want to share is that uh, one of those consequences, one of those things, one of those important reasons why Jesus ascended was because he went to prepare a place for us. He went to prepare a place for us. Now, does anyone watch those uh, house makeover programs, DIY, SOS, Extreme Makeovers, the home edition, the home edition? No one watches this Oh, me and Margaret. Oh, we do. We do. We watch that. It's, it's great. I love those shows. In fact, I don't watch a lot of TV, but I do, I'm ecstatic that now we've got the home channel at our house because I just watch them all back to back. And, uh, but it's always really amazing on the extreme makeover home edition. Uh, the, the designers and the builders come in for a week or whatever and they can build a whole new house. So you see a family who were once living in a shack come back and the designers and builders and this show has prepared something absolutely outstanding for them. So there's a point in the show, in, at the, at, towards the end of the show, where they get the family together and they're standing behind a bus. There's a massive bus. And beyond the bus is their new house that they've prepared. So they all shout, move that bus, move that bus. No, you actually haven't seen that, have you? Um, it's very exciting. It can reduce a, man, a grown man to tears. It's quite emotional watching, watching that. But it's incredible because of what they have prepared for those people that have been living in a condition that is fit for no one. And it's incredible that sometimes we can moan about things that are happening on earth and the distress and, um, you know, things like that. And sometimes we, you know, these aspects of we want to better our lives and want to better our homes and make them nice places to dwell. But beyond this, Jesus has gone to prepare a place. And um, preparation was so significant to the Jewish community. They would often be preparing feasts and festivals. The priests would be uh, preparing sacrifices and offerings. In fact, in the the Passover meal the week before Jesus was crucified, uh, the day before Jesus was crucified, he, he sent the disciples to go and prepare a place for the Passover feast. Preparation was important. And it was in this place where the disciples had prepared the Passover meal to eat together that Jesus spoke in John 14, 1 to 2. He said, Don't be worried and upset. Believe in God and believe also in me. There are many rooms in my Father's house. I am going to prepare a place for you. I would not tell you if this were not so. Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. There's a recent Gallup poll where something like 90% of Americans uh, believe in heaven. It doesn't quite correlate with the, number, the percentage of people that believe in Jesus. Sometimes we, uh, people look for comfort rather than conviction, but, but um, heaven is real. Jesus has gone to prepare a place. But it's not only that, that he's also prepared a work for us before, while we wait for that place. And... Uh, and this morning, I don't know whether you're, you're asking yourself, well, that great, wonderful place that Jesus has gone to prepare, where is it? How can I get there? What it's all about? Listen, you're not alone in asking those questions because the disciples asked the very same thing when they were with Jesus and he was t- talking to them about preparing a place. And he said this, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and it's only through me that you'll see the Father. This morning, I I want to encourage us that Jesus is preparing a place. That's why he ascended to heaven, because he went to prepare a place, and it's going to be amazing. 
But I also need to challenge you on whether you've made sure of your eternity. Whether you in your heart know, have that security, that Jesus has gone before you to prepare a place. And whether you've entered into a relationship with him. Second thing is, oh, animation again. Jesus ascended, he moved up because he had a promise to send. He had a promise to send. It's almost 20 years ago that me and Penny got married. And, ah, uh, oh, I think she's fared better than me, actually. But, um, <laughs> and uh, I made a promise to her. If you ever make shepherd's pie, I won't eat it. Can't stand shepherd's pie. <laughs> but there were some other important promises that we made on that day as well. Promises are important. We make promises, we break promises. But thank God that he's faithful to all his promises. And there's a promise that is central in the ascension of Jesus. John chapter 16, uh, Jesus said, be, uh, but very truly I tell you, it is, not good that I, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Jesus ascended so the Spirit could descend. And in Acts chapter 1, we read that the, the promise of the Holy Spirit would be given when Jesus had gone. And the disciples would receive power and boldness. And we read that they did. They waited in Jerusalem, as Jesus had instructed. They waited for 10 days. uh, But you know what? We read, actually, that in that waiting period, they gathered together, they prayed together, they lived expectantly with joy and hope. Listen, waits don't have to be wastes of time. For the disciples, they absolutely focused their hearts and lives and minds in an alignment with God and his promise. And uh, our, our waiting periods in our own life uh, can be as much about dependence and surrender to God than uh, our expectation and deliverance from circumstance. And I, I want to encourage us that if you're in a waiting period in your own life right now, that it doesn't have to be a waste of time. I would encourage you that if you're waiting for God to move in an area of your life, keep your life open for God to, to move in. Because this was an incredible promise that they received, and it was well worth the wait. Waiting isn't wasting if we're trusting and obeying. That's good, isn't it, that? Someone tweet that. That's good. Waiting isn't wasting if you're trusting and obeying. And that's exactly what the disciples did as they waited in Jerusalem and focused their thoughts and attentions on worshipping God. And then we flip over the page to Acts chapter 2, and we read that... um, Peter, who was one minute denying Jesus and terrified and behind locked doors, that this same man, Peter, stood in front of a crowd of thousands of people and he said this in Acts chapter 2, verse 38 and 39. Each of you must repent of your sins, turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ to show that you have received forgiveness for your sins. Then you will receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And this promises to you and all your children and even to the Gentiles and all who have been called by the Lord our God. You see, this was an incredible promise that Jesus had given to the disciples. A promise of the Holy Spirit coming and transforming everything. And Peter was just a testament of the Holy Spirit's empowering and uh, equipping and, and Peter's words there, he, he stood up in front of thousands of people and he said, this isn't just for us. This promise that Jesus gave us through the Holy Spirit isn't just for us. He said, it's for you. It's for you to receive. And for generations to come. 
And I know that there's some people in the world, some Christians who believe that the miracles and the empowering of the Holy Spirit, they, they were just for the apostles and that's that done. I don't see that. Whatever's taught, I don't see that. I see in the world that Jesus is doing the miraculous. I see that the Holy Spirit is empowering. I see that Holy Spirit is raising people up like Peter to stand in front of thousands of people to share the good news. I don't see that. I don't see that in the Bible. and I don't see that in the world now. And the Holy Spirit is a promise for us. Church, what if we just take hold of this promise for our own lives and what impact it will have on our community around us? Wow. So the next thing, here we go. Eyes on the animation. Hey, okay. Jesus ascended because he became a priest to intercede. Uh, Intercede uh, means prayer, petitioning, uh, mediating. And Jesus moved from a place of earthly interaction with mankind to a place of heavenly intercession for mankind. And uh, the, the ascension links Jesus' work in earthly ministry with his work in heaven as our high priest and mediator. And the book of Hebrews, uh, I'm not going to read it all, but there in the book of Hebrews, chapter 4 and chapter 7, it talks about Jesus ascended to become a high priest who lives forever, lives forever to intercede with God on our behalf. And that's incredible that Jesus has gone to intercede for us, his people. And it talks in Hebrews chapter 4, it talks about how we have a high priest in Jesus who is, is able to sympathize with our weaknesses, is able to, to know the things that we go through. It says in every respect of life, he knows what we're going through. And I think that is absolutely incredible. It's good. How good is it that Jesus knows? He understands. He sympathizes. He was tempted. He was rejected. He was hurt. He was misunderstood. He was misrepresented. Everything we can go through in life, he knows but he not only knows, he holds and he intercedes and holds us together. And I want to encourage us that we have absolute confidence as we come to Jesus with our prayers that he's gone before us, as Adrian shared earlier. He's gone before us. He's already standing in the gap. He is the bridge between earth and heaven. He is lifting you up. He's holding you together. This is our Jesus. He went to become priest to intercede. Next thing was that Jesus' ascension, he moved up to go to a position, to receive a position to reign. Now, testing your knowledge of history here, anyone remember a significant event on the 2nd of June, 1953? A lot, I can hear lots of... <laughs> Queen's coronation. Not what I was thinking. I was thinking everyone got a day off work, but it was... <laughs> It was, it was the Queen's coronation. Something like 20 million people crammed around TV sets uh, and, and watched the coronation. There was some, something like, well, there was a few million out on the streets of London as well. There was 8,000 dignitaries that got invited to Westminster Abbey. Uh, dignitaries and heads of states and prime ministers all got together to see the coronation of the Queen. She took the throne and she was positioned to reign as Queen. And uh, it's great that at that point as well, that Handel's music played, that actually pointed to the reign of Jesus Christ. And the ascension was also important because Jesus was able to take his rightful throne, where from that position he exercises uh, authority and rule. 1 Peter 3.22 says, Now Christ has gone to heaven, he is seated in the place of honor next to God, and all the angels and authorities and powers accept his authority. He is king of kings 
and he is Lord of Lords. And what, what an absolute privilege for us that in um, Jesus being King of Kings and Lord of Lords, the Bible calls us, when we come into a relationship with him, that we are co-heirs with Christ. You're royalty. If you're in relationship with you, you are royalty this morning. Give to the person that's your nudge and say, you are royalty. And the fact that Jesus reigns and is sovereign should give us an incredible sense of victory and purpose and peace in our lives, knowing that he is sovereign and that he reigns. Last thing then, and there are probably other areas that are important, keys and consequences in Jesus' ascension, but this is important as well, that that Jesus' ascension uh, also points us to his return. So in Acts chapter 1, verse 11, I'm going to read it to remind us. Men of Galilee, they said, why are you standing here staring into heaven? This is the angels saying this to the disciples. Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but someday he will return from heaven in the same way you saw him go. Wow. So it's another promise that is contained in this passage. The ascension pointed to Jesus' return. I I remember very distinctly, it was a very vivid dream I had as a boy about the return of Jesus. And I was sat, sat in the back of me, dad's work van, and, uh, and Jesus returned in my dream, this was, uh, just to clarify that. And, um, and the skies went pinky colour and orange and bright and the clouds broke apart and I saw this white silhouetted figure uh, that I, I uh, thought was Jesus in my dream. And I was so taken aback that I felt, I'm still in the dream by the way, still in my dream, that I fell over in the back of my dad's work van and landed on a, a, a tub of tacks. And I remember it for lots of reasons, this dream. But I woke up with pins and needles uh, from, from that dream. But, oh dear. Jesus' ascension set the pattern for his return. He will return. The angels promised. He would return in the same way that he left. That's literally, bodily, visibly in the clouds. And there's many people that have tried to guess when Jesus would return. And we're still here, so we can be assured that they've got it wrong. But uh, there was a a guy, William Miller, said the Lord was coming in October uh, 22nd, 1844. Uh, Hal Lindsay wrote the best-selling book, The Late Great Planet Earth, uh, in which he predicted that Jesus would come in 1988. And thousands got excited and bought the book and um, and then none of it happened. And uh, there was Edgar C. Wisenant who sold 4.5 million copies of his book that was called 88 Reasons Why the Lord is Going to Come by 1988. Well, listen, I can give him 88 reasons why the Lord didn't come in 1988. He did. There's also, perhaps more recently, and some of you may remember this, in 19, uh, September 1994, there was a guy called Harold uh, Campin who predicted that Jesus would come in September 1994. And that when, when that date passed, he then predicted that Jesus was going to come in May 21st, 2011. And then when that date passed, he said he's going to come in October the 21st, 2011. None of that happened. But I have news for you. If someone comes up to you and says, I've got the date, just be a bit wary of that person. Because the fact that Jesus said in Matthew 24, verse 36, no one 
No one knows the day or hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. That should be enough of a clue for us. It's not even worth trying to pop a guess. No one knows. So if someone says, I know, point them to this scripture. Get into your Bible. No one knows. But what we do know is that Jesus will return. And the angels promised that, that he will return. And there are pointers of his return in scripture, but there's not a precision of date. We just need to know that, uh, that he will return, and it's important that we are ready. And church, I ask you that as well, as we're thinking about our eternity, that Jesus has gone to prepare a place. Are we ready? Are we ready? I just want to finish off and conclude with this. I'm going to ask the, the, the band if they can come back. Uh, and lead us in a song to finish with. But the ascension is so important for us, not only because Jesus moved up to prepare a place to intercede, to to reign, to send the Holy Spirit to remind us of his return. He moved up. And as Adrian shared last week, he he released the disciples to move out. Let me recap uh, Jesus' words in uh, Acts chapter 1. It's not Jesus' words, forgive me. It's the words in... uh, Acts chapter 1, verses 9 to 11. After this, he was taken up into a cloud while they were watching, and they could, could no longer see him. As they strained to see him, rising into heaven, two white-robed men suddenly stood among them. Men of Galilee, they said, Why are you standing here staring into heaven? Jesus has been taken from you into heaven, but he will return someday from heaven in the same way that you saw him go. You see, the disciples strained. They strained their eyes to look as Jesus rose to heaven. And then we see there was a suddenly, suddenly, men clothed in white robes. The angels, suddenly, they appeared. Suddenly, God broke into their standing and staring. Suddenly, those two angels said, why are you standing staring? I mean, what kind of question to ask? That isn't it pretty obvious why they're standing staring? You can imagine what was going through the minds. What you're asking us why we are standing and staring? Do you not know that our Jesus, who we've just spent three years of our life with, devoted to, we've just seen him go again. He's gone. We've just lost our friend. And you can imagine what the disciples felt in that moment. That the, the absolute roller coaster of emotions that they had been through. That they'd spent three years with him. They'd seen him uh, killed. They saw him alive again. They thought he'd had him back and then he was gone again. They thought he'd come to establish an earthly kingdom to free Israel from the Romans and then he left earth. What an absolute emotional roller coaster. But in life like that for us sometimes. But sometimes we're just staring into heaven thinking, what is going on? And the same question that the angels asked the apostles, it kind of resonates for us too. Do we just stand and wait for something more to happen or are we prepared to move out into what God has promised and provided us? Are we prepared as Jesus moved up? Are we prepared, as Adrian shared last week, to send out? Are we prepared to move out? And we read in Luke, Luke uh, reported in, in chapter 24 of Luke, they moved, they moved in joy, full of joy, they went to Jerusalem and we're kind of here because of that ascension day because those disciples were prepared to move up when Jesus move out when Jesus moved up 
They were prepared to wait on the promise of the Holy Spirit in Jerusalem. They were prepared to wait in Jerusalem and then go into Jerusalem. And history tells us that they moved from Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The gospel was released in Europe and in Britain and in Long Eaton because people were prepared to move out with that message of hope that Jesus carried. And you know what? We read that the apostles became carriers of God's kingdom, not just companions of Christ. And I want us to be stirred with that message this morning that actually we have a family. We are co-heirs. We have come into relationship with Jesus Christ because of all he has done. But we are not only companions of Christ. We have an opportunity to be carriers of his kingdom today. And for us as a church, Adrian gave me the liberty to, to, uh, a couple of weeks back to just say what's on your heart for the church. This is what's on my heart for church, that we continue to move on, to move in and to move out. And maybe the nudge that the angels gave that day is a nudge for us today, that we are called to purpose and promise. Listen, you can't, you cannot, you cannot walk in promise if you're standing still. Just walking it out. Some of those promises that God has released to us as a house, let's walk in them. Let's receive them. Let's walk in them. Jesus moved up so we can move out. So what about us? We'll be carriers of the kingdom. Can I invite you? You've been sat far too long. Can I invite you, if you can, to stand to your feet and we're going to close our time together. You will be my witnesses telling people throughout about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, even sunny Long Eaton, the ends of the earth. He's called us to be companions of Christ, but carriers of his kingdom. And uh, I, want, I want to encourage you just to keep dipping into uh, and looking at uh, uh, your own personal study about the ascension of Christ. But to understand some of those key components and consequences that came about for us today as well as the disciples then. And I'm just going to pray and I want to encourage you in this final song as we sing together. Maybe you just want to be get together as a family maybe uh, and pray together. Maybe you've got a prophetic encouraging word for someone else in church. Maybe you just want to come forward and receive prayer this morning and we will gladly pray with you and stand with you. Maybe this morning you want to make sure of your eternity. And to know that you have that promise that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for you. Maybe you want to get in right standing with Jesus Christ this morning. I want to encourage you to come to the front as well. There is openness and liberty in this place just to respond to Jesus and, and stand with one another and pray with you. So Lord, Lord God, we just thank you for the declaration that was raised that ascension day of hope and promise and purpose. Lord Jesus, you released your plan into the hearts of the disciples that day. And I just pray that we would carry uh, that message that the disciples carried that day. Thank you that they walked out their promise instead of standing waiting for something to happen. I pray for us as a house, Lord God, uh, it's great that you are doing incredible things. But I also pray that we'd walk out some of those promises that you have spoken to us. And in this moment now, we just welcome your Holy Spirit. Come fill us again. Embolden us to live for you. Stir is a message of hope in our hearts. Provoke us to love more, to forgive more, to give more. I pray that those consequences of the Ascension Day would resonate in our hearts 
with us today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.